Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Lord, we thank you. Lord, that you're here. And Lord, where you are, God, we're in, a, in that context of blessing, Lord, in a place, because that's what you do. Lord, you pour it out upon us. Lord, and I thank you, God, that, Lord, it's, it's literally like being in the rain and God just saturating and being soaked up and, and, and saturated in the grace and the goodness of God. And so, Lord, I thank you. Lord, bless our morning. Lord, bless us in such a way, God, as we hear what you're speaking to us, Lord, that it might go beyond, Lord, just our mind, but deep into our spirits, Lord, and affect our soul, Lord, that we might be the kind of people, Lord, that continue, Lord, to bear your name, to speak your name, to live, Lord, in your ways, Lord, that we might reflect your glory in all that we do, Lord, that's our heart here today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I study the scriptures, it amazes me to find portions that, you know, I can truly say contain the keys to success in life. You know, a lot of pastors will do that and uh, begin a sermon and talking about a section of scripture. Hey, I think I found the key. Um, And by success in life, what I mean is a success, of course, produced by God's design and his favor, okay? Because we can have all kinds of things that look like favor, but In God's eyes, true favor, true victory in him. Christians are always looking for these keys, and of course, we usually find that it's not that easy to find a formula, to find that that secret little bit of wisdom or truth that is all-encompassing, the one thing that if we just do over and over again, it's going to bring us success. It's not that easy. There is no magic formula or method from God which and, and that will assure us complete peace and prosperity. We learn, ultimately, that it is about what? A personal relationship with Jesus. We talked about that last week. And each of us is on an individual growth track. And God knows us by name. Aren't you glad? He knows you by name. He's got a designed plan. Jesus told us that every hair on our head is numbered there in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30. And that is pretty specific as far as I can tell. But I want us to look at a classic portion of Scripture this morning and let a fresh exegesis bring us encouragement, an encouragement in our journey toward that success, that peace, and the prosperity that we all truly desire. So why don't you read with me as we look at Psalm 23, one that we all are very familiar with, probably have memorized since we were children. But let's take a moment to go back through it, and let's take it apart piece by piece and let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness, or mercy, 
will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Classic, wonderful, powerful. Many of us, and of course that has probably been used in songs more than any other psalm in the Bible, I'm sure. But how many of you know that sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees? In other words, that we'll see something and we'll take it for its poetic content. We'll see it for how it makes us feel. And, that, and definitely, when we read this psalm, we're drawn into that uh, pastoral scene. We feel comfortable. But if we really dig into this, you're going to see that there's a lot more here than what initially meets the eye. So let's just take it apart. Let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, this is our thesis. This is essentially describes what the rest of the psalm is about. If you look at it that way, everything is David's proof of a very strong statement. If we look at it again, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I mean, we could stop right there, am I right? We just say, you know, and matter of fact, if we kind of change the language a little bit, not that I'm suggesting we change scripture, but, but if you look at it from this perspective, it will make a little more sense to you. If, if the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Many of the things of scripture are definitely conditional. Have you found that to be true? In other words, you can't just sleep on the Bible, put it over under your head, and all of it just by osmosis go in. Truth does not go in physically. Matter of fact, we can be sitting here today and you're going to hear this whole message, but there is no guarantee that it's going to change you. Although we know the scripture is like that, that sword that divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and we know that, it's, that, that there's that rhema, but there is the difference where the word goes from logos to rhema, where it goes from something you hear to something that you believe and to inculcate into your soul in such a way as you live it. And so we start with this, and, and if we really take it apart, it's a little more intrusive, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When he is our shepherd, we will find ourselves coming into a kind of contentment that is indescribable. But David does his best job, doesn't he? Because he continues with our psalm. Let's look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm. Now, if you look at that one, I mean, initially you think in terms of, oh, he makes me lie down. In, but we miss the most important verb in that whole, <laughs> that whole sentence. And what is that? Makes. Mm. Think about that for a minute. I don't like anybody making me do anything. Do you? I mean, when we, you know, when somebody tells you I'm going to make you do something, they're going to make us pay our taxes. They're going to make us do this. They're going to make us do that. That does not, as far as a human being, that word doesn't always fit real well. But yet, when we read this psalm, we just kind of zoom right over the top of it. Because truly what David is saying, after a life of experiencing the presence of God and knowing who God is, he was able to say that word confidently but I wonder if not through a little bit of pain as well. You study David's life, you know that's for certain. So that when he is able to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures, we realize, hmm. You know, I mean, we might even ask this, is this really a blessing? Do we, do we catch the subtlety? 
A shepherd, if we look at, and it's kind of important that we understand shepherding and what happens there in the field, the pastoral view, to give us a better picture of what's really taking place here. But a shepherd definitely is there in the field and has to direct the sheep. As a matter of fact, some people say that sheep are probably some of the dumbest animals that exist. And guess what? We've been compared to them. Ouch. Could have used a dog, Lord. Horse, maybe. I mean, I'd even take a real smart insect. But slow thinking, driven by their instincts, driven by their passions. They're sitting there eating probably the richest grass, and they think, oh, that must be better over there. Because the shepherd has brought them into the best field that the shepherd has determined is going to be good. I mean, he says, look, hey, look, I know all the fields. This is the one I brought you to. But the sheep still want to go to another one. And so the shepherd has to say, you know, no, stop. And literally at times the shepherd has to take his knee and put it in the back of the shepherd, I'm I'm sorry, the sheep, and, and force them to the ground. And at times, literally push their, their, their face down into the grass to get them to smell it, to know its quality. And then at that point, it's like nibble, nibble. Oh, oh thanks. But when we think of, folks, this is being compared to us now. Don't miss that. That there are times when God has to make us lay down. Make us try it and you will see. Make us, you know, taste of things that we may not realize or, or from, the, from the outward appearance we may not think that it's good for us or that, that has not been communicated on any television show that it's good for us or that there's been no, a lot of books or it's not going to be taught in your college or your school or it's not communicated by your friends that what, this, what God is presenting to you is good. And so, because God is our shepherd, He's going to make us lie down. He's going to make us see. Of course, I'm talking about eating, but really what we see here is more of of just resting. There are times when God has to make us rest because he sees the bigger picture in our life. You ever wondered about that, that how things don't work out for you, and yet we just think immediately, oh, God's against me. Oh, God is against me. What have I done? What secret sin? What, what, what curse from my past? What, what is rising up now so that God is resisting me? And we know the scripture says God resists the proud. And sometimes we just go to that and just say, well, where is my pride? When really, probably most of the time, God is just saying, no, I'm, I'm saving you. Because given to yourself, if I, if I let you go, you're just going to wear yourself out. You're going to wander into a field that's got, some, that's got you know, brambles. It's going to have some poisonous plants in it that you're going to eat and you're going to suffer. So, you know, we think in terms of our relationship with God, more often than not of God just saying, go, run. And that God just gets out of our way, right? It's just God is a God of get out of our way. When God, more often than not, is the God who stands in your way. Because really, a shepherd is there 24-7. A shepherd is watching over the sheep. And he's very quick to run over to a sheep that, and part of his flock that begins to wander off or is doing something that he perceives as dangerous, most certainly would come over and make them lie down. 
Let's look at the other part of that verse. He leads me beside the quiet waters. Actually, verse, yeah, verse 2b. He leads me beside the quiet waters. God wants us to place, or lead to us to places that are peaceful and not chaotic. I wonder, is this the way to determine the direction of God? That a lot of times we think in terms, and of course this is the tension. You've heard me talk about this many, many times. The tension between faith and wisdom, faith and wisdom. Faith sometimes has to push through things that don't make any sense. But wisdom is based on all sense. Wisdom is based on taking all things and considering it all and just saying, hmm, should I do this? Should I not do this? What is a long-term term implication? When faith sometimes, you know, you can't think about the long-term implication. It's just like, I have no idea what's going to happen. Talking to someone recently about making some major life decisions, I said, you know what faith is like? It's like walking up to the side of a pool, and you can't see any water in it, and God is asking you to jump in. I mean, it's just a, well, where's the water going to come from? He said, I'll take care of that. I'm not sure I believe you. <laughs> Only to find out it was because we just couldn't see it. It was so pristine. But when I, let me go back to determining the, the direction and the will of God. See, God wants to lead us to those quiet waters. And, and I've, I've learned that in my own life after walking with God uh, 32, 33 years. Actually, 34 now. And one of the things that, that, that I have learned of, of so many, and certainly still learning them, is that God's paths are usually, about 99% of the time, peaceful paths. Paths that you will realize are, you know, that are not filled with that chaos, that are not filled with, you know, having to violate your conscience, having to violate somebody else's conscience having to break some of the things, the, 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 the principles in God's word. But, but a lot of times we think that, you know, faith and success, and we just bound through that, just violating so many things. And the whole time, and then what happens is more, a little more chaos comes up, a little more struggle, a little, a little fire that we started as a result of the decision that we have to go back and fix. Maybe it's debt. You know, I've seen a lot of times many Christians just say, you know, I'm just trusting in God. You know, debt is a great way to just trust in God. And I'm like, no, that's foolishness. God wants to provide, not just to promise. And that's important. So it says here, he's going to lead us beside the quiet waters. He's going to lead us to places that are going to be peaceful. And that's a God. That's a God thing. So when you're thinking about the paths of your life, if, you, if you're seeing a little bit of chaos there, if there's not peace around you, if it, it, you know, then you need to take notice. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He wants to restore our mind, our will, and our emotions. And I've, I've used those four, those four words for, in counseling for many, many years. He restores my soul. That's what God wants to do. When you give your life to him, God begins the sanctifying process because in justification, of course, we're made whole in him. Our spirit comes to life. Our placement within him in heaven 
is assured. It's promised. He speaks to us to, you know, tomorrow, whenever your tomorrow is, you'll be with me in paradise. But he also wants to sanctify us. He also wants to change us. He also wants to, in the life that we live, restore the brokenness of our soul. Because there's a lot of brokenness around us, isn't there? There's a lot of brokenness that we grow up with. And we experience things that, we, you know, that, we, that, we, that happen to us, sins of, of omission, things that we had nothing to do with, but other people's sin affected us, and then sins of commission, the things that we have done, even as Christians. In all of that still, he wants to do what? He wants to restore our soul. You've got to understand that about God. As the shepherd, the shepherd is always interested in the health of his sheep. I mean, I mean we could always imagine you know, the shepherd over there just kind of getting distracted and watching the birds while the, 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 the sheep are fighting, biting one another, getting infested with diseases. We used to call it parasitology. <laughs> Big word to describe God wants to get your parasites, man. He wants to take them off you. Things that are sucking life from you. Stealing your lifeblood. <laughs> he wants to do that. We get confused. We get distracted. We get delayed in our walk with God. He gets our souls back on track so that we can live in a place of what? Contentment. It goes right back. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means we need to do, let him do what? Restore our soul. So you can't have one without the other. You really can't. And that means, see, what we see here is this progressive submission. See, if we take sheep, ultimately that's what a sheep has to do. It has to finally look at the shepherd and just say, you got me, man. I, you know, and that's what they're trained all of their life to do. And that is to listen to the shepherd's voice, to know it. When the shepherd just says, come, they're trained to just stop eating and come with him. We'll talk about the, 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 the staff and the, the rod here in a moment. Now that comes into play. But contentment is the goal. Wow, I'll tell you what, that's, that's a big word to me these days. That's a big word to me these days. Because, you know, as human beings, we're kind of conditioned. We, again, the grass is always greener. Where did that come from? It came from this that we start to look around us and we, we'd rather have the kind of car they're driving. We'd like to have the house they're living in. We'd like to have the different things that other people have. And the moment we begin to get, in, the moment we get into comparison and we look at other people's lives and we forget the, the pasture that God has prepared for us, then we're going to get out of contentment. We're going to lose peace. And we're going to spend the rest of our life with our nose pressed up against the gate and not enjoying what God has provided. Man, that's, that's a tough one, isn't it? Isn't that a tough one? To have to learn, to have to embrace. Contentment, how? How do we get there? The next verse, by guide us, guiding us in his paths of righteousness for his name's sake. To stay on those paths. It clearly shows us that by going our own way, our souls will get disquieted. When we do things in our own strength and we go in our own way and there is not, not, not that confidence that this is what God is directing me to do. And I find that happens so often. And, and sometimes we ask ourselves, we ask one another, we ask our friends, we, you know, we just ask them, what does God think about that? 
And how many times? And if something rises up inside you and you react to that, uh uh-oh, it's probably because you weren't listening. It's probably because you did make a decision that did not involve God. And that's so important. Folks, especially for the biggest decisions of life, things that can affect you the rest of your life, like who are you going to marry? Who are you going to connect with? You know, the things that take a kind of commitment that, that are, is, is going to, uh, it's going to lock you in. Is our life a walk past the quiet waters? Or are we walking past a waterfall where you can't even hear yourself think? And that, you know, is something I have to personally keep coming back to. Keep being reminded of that is, is to just quiet my soul. Because there's so many voices. My own voice, the enemy, other people's voices. And we, we're, we're so overwhelmed by the amount of data and the things that are coming in. Folks, you know, the, the science is coming in on what these little rascals are doing to us. And, you know, now they play games where they're sitting down for lunch and everybody will have to put their phones face down. And the first one who answers it or looks at it has to pay. I like that game. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's what's going on. And so, folks, we've got this inflow of data. This is my point. We've got so much coming into us that we're not still in quieting our soul so that that still small voice in the background is the one we're least listening to because it's in the quiet place. It's in those still waters. You know what that is? You stand next to a lake that has no rippling. You know, up in Michigan, you know, I, I like to go back to that little cabin on the lake. And in the early morning hours, I can walk out there. There's nothing. No boaters. Even the seagulls have yet to start to attack me. <laughs> and you're just sitting out there. And it's a serene kind of sound. We're very, you know, we're only about an hour from the Canadian border up there. So the, the, the air is coming in. And it's just, man, you can hear everything going on inside you. And that's when you can just say, no, that's not the voice I want. No, that's not the voice. Lord, speak to me. And in that quiet place, God is just will start to come. Say, David, let's talk. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. What's on your mind? Well, I'm concerned about this. Or, or Lord, I really want to ask you to bless my children and my wife today. Or, or whatever else, you know, begins to come. That's a place of stillness. A place I don't think very many Americans are really able to experience. I think of... Uh, that waterfall, and it's just kind of a humorous thing. It made me think, okay, who was the first one to go over the Niagara Falls? Who, who was crazy enough to do that? Well, believe it or not, it was a, in a barrel, by the way, because there were others who tried it to just jump over. Now, I'm talking the Canadian side, by the way, because that's, that's the, the big one you, you're used to seeing. Anyway, the first one to go over in a barrel was a 63-year-old woman, Annie Edison Taylor was the first person to go over in 1901 in a barrel. She survived. <laughs> she was hoping to make a real splash and, uh, and to launch some things that she was working on to make herself famous. She was for about a day. And then now she's in Wikipedia, but she's long dead. But it's kind of, to me, it was kind of funny because there she was trying to do something that was really threatening her life. But in the end, it didn't bring her much fame. In the end, everybody just said, well, that was stupid. You know? So careful what you wish for, right? 
verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's two verses together. You know, difficult times define us. They really, really do. It's hard to embrace, but it's true. Our, our life goal is to come into a relationship with God that when difficulty comes, we do not so easily give up on God as definitely being our help and, of course, not giving in to fear. See, when difficulty comes, definitely fear is one of those first things that start coming out. And even the, the bravest of souls, you know, we can begin to kind of shudder in fear. But if we go back to our first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that's going to fit under there too. I have no want. I'm going to be in this place of contentment. Now, I'm not talking about just what they would call fatalism. See, fatalism is what Islam believes in. And that is as Allah wills. In other words, whatever happens, happens. If they're going to get blown up, they're going to get blown up. If they're going to starve to death, they're going to starve to death. And, and, and they just see that as the will of God. That's not what Christianity is about. There is the will of God. But then Jesus came and said, but you can pray. And you can ask. And you can knock. And you can demand in his presence. You can come right up to the throne of grace. And you can say, Lord, here I am. And I've got some needs, I've got some things, and I can come. And, and, and in that sense, you know, it's Aslan, it's a lion, and we can, we can, we can do that. We can yield to him and ask him to, to invade our world and do some mighty things. But after all of that, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. After having done all that I could do to stand, to pray, to have everybody we know pray about my situation, now what do you got to do? You just wait. In that contentment, in that peace, in that place of quiet waters. But a lot of times what we do is we panic and we let that fear start to seep in again. And what fear, see, fear is outside the realm of the will of God. I mean, fear takes us out into the unknown where then anything can happen. And it just eats away at our peace. And no longer is he really our shepherd. I mean, think of it in this way, that when the sheep are out there and a wolf just comes to the gate, the sheep, those who are not comforted, those who are not assured, those who are not uh, uh, confident in the protection of their shepherd will just hit the fence and start running. How many of you know that that's the worst thing you could do? I mean, I know you're not literally sheep, but I mean, think about it. We all know that if you try to run, you're, easy, you're, you're, you're an easy meal to the enemy. He's going to nip away at you. He's going to see that the fear has exposed you. But there's strength in numbers. There's strength in staying close to the shepherd. Who has what, by the way? The rod and the staff. And it says they comfort me. One is for the enemy. The other one's for you. One's for the enemy. The rod. Bam. Beating away the, the wolf. The wolves that try to come in the night. The staff, it's got the, it's got the crook, right? He reaches out, grabs a hold of the sheep, gets up under him, maybe grabs its collar, that leather t collar that's been made to pull him in, sometimes pop him on the head. And it might seem cruel, but sometimes, you know, we need a good knock on the head. Believe me, I've, I've thought about knocking people on the head in my counseling office. I, I wish I had a... <laughs> Billy's over there laughing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wish I had one by my stick. You know, just hang right there. Let's just pray. 
Close your eyes. Oh, what was that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, knock us into our senses. No, we can't do that. But you know what? God does use the staff in our life. And, and what does he use? He uses difficulties. He uses the reproofs of life. He basically says, okay, look, you keep pressing against this gate. One of these days, I'm going to let you out. At, you know, be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you push the down, down the door for. Insisting on marrying a certain person. Insisting on going to debt over a thing. Insisting on violating principles for a greater good. See, that's not good. Not good at all. It's not biblical. And sometimes, and I've seen that. When people say, man, I've tried and tried and tried. And if I, one day I got it, I'm going, uh-oh. That wasn't a miracle, man. No, that's God just saying, okay, have at it. And in that end, there will be one of those life experiences that you'll never forget. Verse 5, you have prepared a table before me in front of my enemies. Don't worry about what people think. God's blessing will flow in front of those who despise you, hate you, and judge you. Don't worry about them. What? No worries. Jesus taught us not to uh, return insult for insult, attack for attack, judgment for judgment, the greatest thing any one of us can do is prosper and enjoy the feast that God prepares. That can be one of the greatest distractions for Christians is we get caught up in, 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 in you know, what people think. And so we really can't enjoy our own meal that's been set in front of us. You, I mean, you ever had your, your meal upset, you're really hungry, and then somebody tells you something about what somebody said about you? And, now look, in my business... That happens all the time. That's right. Even though I don't look like I've lost too many meals. But anyway, it hasn't been bothering me lately. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but it has happened once or twice. But anyway, how it can really affect our soul, though. I mean, we can just get disquieted. And it's just like, oh, man, you can just feel it kind of rumbling inside you. And it just ruins your day. When God says, look, I've prepared a table for you, you need to ignore all that. And he says, in the presence of our enemies. And it's interesting that he would place that in there, but to me, what it means is we're all going to have enemies at one time or another. And Jesus said that. He said, look, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So if you believe as a Christian, it's going to be this conflict-less life, Mm -mm, wake up. Matter of fact, if you don't have conflict in your life, it tells me you're not really living on the edge. I don't really like that particular principle, by the way. Because somebody told me that. They said, look, man, if you've got a lot of stuff going on and people are complaining about you, they said, man, be happy. You're, do- doing, you're doing things for God. Okay, I'll, I'll believe that. It goes on to talk about our, our head is anointed with the oil, overflowing cup. I love those, those images. That oil, you know, our head is anointed is definitely a picture of God's favor. God's loving us, anointing us. Not only his favor, but his protection. That oil that keeps the, uh, the gnats and the parasites away. The overflowing cup, that's a, a wonderful image. That means you always have more than you need. But see, you know, 
I'll use my, my, little, my little guy, my little four-year-old as an example, you know. One of the things that they learn as they begin to grow is that they're always thinking in terms of how much they have and how much they could have. So you give them a half a cup, they're like, hey, fill it all the way up. But you're only going to drink half of it. I don't care. I want it all. But when we think in terms of contentment, God says, you know what, if you are in content, uh, if you are in content, uh, you are contented, then I'm going to overflow your cup. And you're always going to have what you need. And therefore, you will not be in want. See, I shall not want means I'm going to be in a place of contentment. It doesn't mean there's, there's not a lot of stuff out there I could have. I mean, how many people own luxury yachts in here? Probably not many of us. I surely would want one of those. I mean, just a nice sailing boat. But you know what? I'm content, happy in God. He's given me everything I need. Finally, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's, that completes the story. You see how this is bookended? It begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm never going to want. And you know what? And if I live my life in that place, I have no few, uh, fear of my future. Because I can, he, can, he can say, you know what? My life is going to be, uh, uh, it's going to have those points in it where goodness and mercy, they're just following me everywhere we go. Another word for that is just the favor of God. When you're walking in the favor of God, things just happen upon you. They just fall into your life. They're just tumbling in. And you just say, gosh, I didn't even pray for that. That's favor, by the way. That's what that is. Following you, pouring into your life. Where does that come from? Does that come from a life that is perfect? Does that come from a life of a very knowledgeable person? Does that come from a life of a person who is always filled with the Holy Spirit? Is that, does that come from the life of a person who has achieved certain spiritual, you know, heights? That's not what this psalm says. It just says we need to let him be our shepherd. Pure and simple. Just listen to him. Just don't go your own way. Just, you know, for a sheep, you know, a baby sheep, small lambs, you know what they have to do? You've heard the analogy before, I'm sure, many of you. But a lot of times lambs are very perky and all full of life, and they want to run off, and, and they're, you know, often they're, the, they're definitely the most vulnerable, and the wolf would love to get a lamb. And so they run off. So what the, sherp, the shepherd has to do, if it did not learn it from its mom and daddy, if it didn't learn it from the, 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 the rod and the staff, if it didn't learn it, the shepherd has to break its leg. Imagine that. But it has to come to that place to just say, look, oh, how painful that must have been. And hearing that and how overwhelming that would be for you and me to be listening to that. But the shepherd just saying, look, this is going to save its life. And sometimes God does have to break our leg, doesn't he? Where some difficulty comes, and it's a painful difficulty. And it's hard to think that God might be the author of it, but sometimes he is. Sometimes he is. Got to let him shepherd us. The idea of a shepherd is so unique. Jesus comes back to the analogy. Of course, Psalm 23 being from the Old Testament, 
writings of David. But listen to Jesus, who taps right back into it and gives it a whole new perspective and, and, and elevates the meaning. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So that really sets the standard for the amount of relationship we have with God, with Jesus. Isn't that right? A familial, as close as two brothers can be. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. Uh Uh-oh, he's talking about you and me. Isn't that amazing? We're right in the middle of this, and all of a sudden you you see that, 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 that invisible finger say, you guys, I must bring them also. And they too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd there in John. So let me finish. When we look at Psalm 23, we see that it's absolutely full of of wonderful language. It's poetic. It's got promise. But one of the things that we often miss is that it's not guaranteed. It's not just words that we read that it will comfort us. Something that we would read, you know, to a dying person or something that we'd read at a prayer breakfast. It's really much more practical. It's a lot more in your face than most of us realize. It truly is a portion of Scripture that has the keys to our success. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But if we add that, just that one little word, when the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Very much a key. So let's finish this morning by standing and praying and asking God to help us. One of the things I love about about a relationship, now a life-giving relationship, I'm not talking about a legalistic, driven relationship with God, but I'm talking about a grace-filled relationship with God. And 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 I'll just say this right here. You know, our church is filling up with folks from all walks of life and different places and and and, and, and Christian influences. But I, I really need to make this clear right now that here at Valley, we want to live in the grace of God, where our failures are not fatal, where our struggles. Our learning experiences. And God is there with us as our shepherd to teach us, to grow us. Where we don't create an environment where, you know, we nibble at one another, we bite one another. But we let our shepherd do that work. And Jesus said and made it so clear that an environment of loving one another and being patient and, 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 and experiencing the love of God, you know, among one another is going to create the the greatest change than any legalism could ever do. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I thank you that you don't yell at us. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you, that you don't impress upon us and, 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 and necessarily focus on one way of living. But what you, you really make clear is that, God, our walk is defined by our surrender to you. 
that when we allow you to become that shepherd of our lives, and that means 24-7 observation, that we allow you to make us graze in the places that will bring us the most life. When we surrender to you, when we yield to you, and we even at times, Lord, have to surrender to the discipline that you lovingly bring. Always for our good. Always to bring us to that place of life. So Lord, right now, if there's any in this room, you're not sure that if you die tonight that you go to heaven. Perhaps you, you came as a result of, of the play that we had over the last several days. You're intrigued by the story, which was a gospel, just in symbolism. Jesus is, is, is ready to rescue you. He's ready to, to take you from your wandering and bring you into his pen where there'll be life, there'll be protection. There are the still waters. There's the green pastures. There is that comfort of knowing. And of course, his loving kindness, his mercy, his goodness following you every single day. If you want that, you can have it. It's all yours for the choosing you need to say yes. So if you're here today and you'd like to give your life to Jesus Christ for the first time, just raise your hand up with no one looking around. I want to pray for you. Just take a second. Anyone at all? Okay. Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, we come and we want to take a moment, Lord, before we rush off into our lives, Lord, to just stop. Lord, be our shepherd. Just yield to him right now. You know, you may have felt his, his staff around your neck lately. You may have felt some knots. You may have given into fear, and there's been a lot of chaos in your life. You know what? All of that can stop right now by just yielding to him as your shepherd. Just right now. Lord, we yield to you. You're the good shepherd. You know us by name. Every hair on our head is numbered. You know us. Lord, we can't hide from you. But you have the best in mind for each one of us. And Lord, even that, that means that sometimes, Lord, your will does cut across, Father, our passions, our desires. So Lord, impress upon us. Come. We want to surrender to the one who loves us the most. We want to surrender to the one who has the best in mind for our lives. Lord, lead us. Lead us, God, beside those, those quiet waters today. And however that is represented, Lord, in our lives, in our marriages, in our workplaces, Lord, in the, the decisions that maybe are right upon us right now, things that we were getting ready to do on Monday morning, Lord, now we yield. We yield to you. So we thank you today, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Seal the decisions in our heart. Lead us step by step. Holy Spirit, you've been sent to be that one to comfort us, to guide us, to speak to us, to bring to life, and, and, and Lord, to um, apply that word, the very words of Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name.